Amen. Hello again, y'all. How are we doing? It's great to be back here. It's been a few weeks. Uh, warning, I might kick this at you. That happened last time, so I'm going to try my best. But um, it's good to be back. Last time I told you guys, um, I ha- best parts of my life are my wife, Michaela, and our daughter, Adeline. And I might have told you that we are, uh, we're pregnant with another kiddo on the way. Let's go. Yes. We found out the gender. We're having a boy. Yes. Let's go. So that was really exciting, but also super intimidating. I'm going to be real with you guys. Because I had this realation, realization that um, this kid could be like me. And that might not always be a good thing. <laughs> and so um, I pray for me that, um, that I would grow in godliness because I don't want to mess my kid up. Uh, that's real because <laughs> uh, I can grow. And some of that came out uh, a couple weeks ago as well. Another update, we potty trained our daughter Adeline. Yes, which is a huge thing. Uh, who here has uh, young siblings, cousins, nephews, you know, you've heard about the horrors of potty training? They're all true. It is really kind of crazy and hard and messy. We tried the like three-day method, um, which is, you know, supposed to be like magic. It was not three days. Uh, there was pee all over the floor for several days in a row, um, poop in Adeline's pants. Michaela got sick. It was like really crazy and ridiculous, and my sin came out big time because I'm selfish and I am get angry, and uh, I needed to stay focused, and so I, um, instead of like trying to focus on good things, like how our Heavenly Father is patient with us, and that's a good thing to remember, and I should emulate him. I I latched on to, Adeline has to figure it out eventually, right? (laughs) Like, all of us in this room got potty trained, right? Like, we were, were able to go to the bathroom, and that's a really good thing. And so I held on to that fact. Well, some of you guys were like, is he, is he, I don't know. Um, but we made it at one point in time. And so that I held on to that really earthly truth and fact um, to try to get me through these seven uh, trialless days. And she's doing it, guys. And it's great. And it's something to celebrate and good. And it's, we, we know it's going to happen because it's just part of growing up, right? Like we have to learn how to do these things. It's part of mature, maturing as a human being. Um, just like an infant goes from just drinking milk or formula to eating solid food. It's part of growing up and maturing. Um, and maturing, it's like an interesting conversation, isn't it? Like how mature would you guys say you are? That's a hard question, right? Like, what is the standard of maturity? And your, like, neighbors next to you might have a different idea than you do. Um, but, why, like, how do we answer that question? I'm sure many of you guys uh, excited to graduate high school to get away from immature freshmen in high school. You're, like, ready to be done with those kids that are, like, done with, like, their, the way they set up their goals, the way they live their life. They're just annoying. They don't really know much of anything, the things they get stressed out about. Like, ready to be done with that. And now I'm going in the workforce. I'm working, you know. I'm, I'm around adults mostly. Um, I'm in college. And you should, you're, like, probably ready to be around people like you in maturity and living in a similar way, similar stage of life. But then you go to class or you go to work and you realize, oh, there's like really immature people here. (laughs) Like um, we don't magically mature as we age, 
right? Like you, you have that classmate that really struggles to do their homework, and it's not because like it's just they're not learning and tracking with a professor. It's just because they're not trying, and they're not prioritizing the things they should be prioritizing, and you're like, man, like you're just wasting your time and your money. Like that's pretty mature. Or you're working with like a middle-aged person, and they spend way too much time playing video games or watching TikTok videos, and it's like to the neglect of their family, and you're like, man, you're like 35. What are you doing with your life? Like, come on. And so we can pick out these different things of like, that's an obvious mark of immaturity, right? And they're easy to pick out because normally they annoy us. And we're like, oh, what is going on here? But what are marks of true maturity, like real maturity? And, and not just like from a worldly perspective, because the world outside the church they don't care about the Bible. And so they're not, they're not going to be grounded in the truth that the word of God displays to us. So we want to know what is true maturity, what is Christian maturity, what is biblical maturity, and what does it look like? And maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and you've been going to church for a long time. Maybe you were saved at five, and you've been following Jesus for 15 years. And you, you know a lot of the Bible stories, and you know these things. But does that mean you're mature? Maybe you have this hunger to know deep theological answers. And you read all these books about all these different things that literally no one else you talk to, like, knows anything about. Does that make you mature? What's interesting is that um, in the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 5, 12 through 13, I think we're going to have it on the screen. He addresses people that have been a part of the church for a while. And he says this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Okay, so you've been around the Christian thing for a while. You've been around the word of God, the people of God. You should be able to teach by now, but you are struggling. You are struggling with the basics here. And it's to the point that you need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Y'all, you're, you're infants. What is going on here? You're, you're not growing up in the faith. You're not growing in maturity. And so what this, these couple verses reveal to us is we don't magically mature as Christians as we age either. Like it, does, it doesn't just happen naturally. It's not just something that happens on its own. So, how do we know if we are actually maturing? Like, what is true maturity? What, what does that look like? And Paul's message to the Philippians here in Philippians 3 will reveal to us the answers to some of these questions. And just a, a quick recap uh, last week, Paul, um, uh, Jacob talked in the text about how Paul explaining. Hey, my uh, reputation as a Jewish religious leader, it really means nothing to me compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. And Jacob taught that an identity rooted in Christ is more valuable than any passion, pursuit, or pleasure. And now Paul is clarifying what true maturity is, what it isn't, and the way to grow in true maturity. So let's start off with like what it isn't and just get real clear on that first in the text. So let's jump to verses 18 and 19 in chapter 3. So Paul says to church in Philippi, for many, so he's talking about many people that were a part of this church, for many 
of whom I have told, often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Uh, so this definitely doesn't describe true maturity, right? <laughs> like we want to avoid whatever is going on here. This is what the path to hell looks like destruction. This is heavy. And Paul has talked with the Philippians before about these people who have, they were a part of the church, but they've left and they hate the gospel of Jesus. They hate the cross of Christ. And they have these markings that show who they are. Their goal is to be fill, fulfilled by earthly things. That their, eye, their minds are set and focused on earthly things, like money, recognition, Sex, these are the things that drive these people. That's, that's what they want, and their minds are focused. Their God is their belly, and that doesn't just mean like hunger and like wanting more food. It could mean gluttony here, but it's primarily a sinful appetite, lustful desires, and these things control and own these people. They rule over these people. Instead of them belonging to Jesus, they are enslaved to their sinful desires. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. They, they celebrate these sinful goals that aren't of God, that are earthly. And they love it and they show it off. They brag about these things. And, that, and that's what excites them and what gives them joy. And they probably think they're the ones doing life right. Like, I, I've got it figured out, and that's why I want to brag about these things to you. And their end, the prize for living this way for these goals, is destruction. It's hell. It's separation from God. So we see the tr way of true maturity does not involve lives focused on worldly things, being driven by sinful desires, or boasting in our sin or ourselves. That's the way of the enemies of the cross. And Paul, his heart's broken for these people. He grieves for these people. His, his tears are probably both because of the concern he has for these people's soul, but also the impact and influence they have on the people of the church of Philippi. He, he mourns these people and their influence. And so he warns them, he warns the Philippians against following this example because walking their way it not only proves that they might just be immature Christians, but if this is the marking of the life of the person, if this is how they live with this God, this goal, this glory, it says that you're not a Christian at all. That's, you don't belong to Jesus. It proves you aren't a Christian. So it's not just unhelpful and immature, like forgetting you're potty trained here tonight and you just like, crap your pants right now. Like, that would be embarrassing. That would be unhelpful. Sorry, Jordan. Um, that, like, that, that wouldn't be good. That wouldn't be sweet, okay? But it's not just unhelpful and immature like that. Guys, it's like this. It's like intentionally breathing in carbon, carbon monoxide and thinking it's better than clean air. It's that's how destructive this way of living is. So it's not just immature, okay? Living in this directive, direction is harmful and destructive. And so 
We're clear on that. We don't want to live that way. So what is the way to true maturity? What does true maturity look like? Let's look at, back at verses 12 through 16 now in chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Did you catch that in verse 15? The mature will think this way. So what is the way that Paul is talking about here? Verse 12 clarifies, maturity begins with knowing we won't be totally mature on this side of heaven. Like we won't just arrive. Paul clarifies that. He doesn't claim to have obtained perfection. He's saying, guys, I haven't just arrived yet. In other words, it's mature to not think you're really mature. Okay? It's Mature to recognize you haven't arrived yet. So, here tonight, do you think you're mature? And why? Like, wrestle with that question tonight. Is it because you know how to explain the difference between post-millennial and pre-millennialism? And if you're like, if people don't know that, they're dumb. Ah, you might have a problem here. <laughs> Is it because you grew up in Sunday school and more, know more about the Bible than most people? Like, check your heart. Because I think we can all agree that Paul is a model of true Christian maturity, right? Because, like, what's the context of this letter? He's writing in a Roman prison. He's not living his best life right now. It's not easy. It's not fun. But he's more concerned about the church in Philippi and their growth in Jesus Christ than he is about his present circumstance. So there's, there's something going on that is that shows, I mean, he is truly mature, but he's saying, hey, I haven't arrived. And so if Paul is saying that, it's safe to say we haven't arrived either. So Paul doesn't say that he's made this his own, that he's achieved this complete perfection, that he's completely mature. So what is Paul pressing on towards to make his own? What does he hold on to and claim is and so if we look at verses 12 through 14 as a whole now, he owns the goal of knowing Jesus and laboring vigorously for that goal, pressing on towards it. He says that twice. Paul has taken hold of his effort to know Jesus because Jesus has taken hold of Paul. I love that lyric and son of suffering, the, the God who reaches for me. And and I feel like it's really descriptive to what Paul is talking about here. Because we can, when he says of Christ taking hold of me, may, has made me his own, you imagine he's having flashbacks to Damascus, his road to Damascus, where he's on his way to persecute more Christians as a Jewish religious leader. And Jesus stops him in his tracks, just freezes him and reveals himself as Lord to Paul. And Paul's life is forever changed from that moment forward. And so he's, he can't get over that moment of salvation. Paul can't get over that Jesus would save him because that was the beginning of Paul knowing Jesus. 
Like, Paul was broken. He did these terrible things. But this God came and rescued him, made himself known to him. And it's beautiful. He can't get over that. And so he labors vigorously to know this God more, to know Jesus more. And the language he uses in verses 13 and 14 is like a runner competing in a race. How many runners do we have in the room? I know some of you, so I know some of you guys are runners. Not very many. There's a few in here. Some don't want to admit it, but you enjoy running, which is awesome, because running is like really difficult. It really is. Um, Now, here's a question for you. When you're in a race, like let's say a mile run, um, a mile run is a sprint, right? That's That's classified as a sprint. I'm not a runner. It is, it re- right? Runners in the room? Yeah, Griffin's nodding. It, it's considered a sprint. So when you take off in this sprint, is it wise and helpful to turn around to see like how far you're outpacing everyone else? Is that right? No, no, because it slows you down dramatically. It slows you down. Your goal is to run as fast as you can in this race for the prize of winning the race so that you can either like get a medal or win some points for your track team. I have no idea how those like processes work. Um, but you're, that's the goal. That's what you're trying to achieve. And this is an, the analogy that Paul is using here. That he's saying the prize here is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like I want more of Jesus. I want to know more of Jesus. And so my goal is to know more of Jesus. And the prize that I seek after is Jesus, is more of Jesus. And, and I'm not going to look behind. I'm not going to get distracted from this goal. I want to go forward. I, I don't want to dwell on the past, but I want to strain forward to the future prize that is ahead. That's basically what Paul is getting at here. And so the call for us is not, not to dwell on the past. And this can be both the, the good things in life and the, and the not great things in life. And that means the mistakes that you've made that make you feel unworthy, don't dwell on that. The successes you've seen in your life that make you feel worthy, don't dwell on that. The knowledge that you've gained and learned that makes you feel mature, you're like, you get the, you get the point. Paul strains forward to the goal ahead of him. More of Jesus, because that's the one goal that we can live for that continues on into eternity. That's the one thing that we can invest our energy in, our passion in, our life in here right now. And it's actually going to last on into eternity. Because the prize is knowing Jesus. And Jesus isn't going anywhere. And the mature will think this way. Let's read verse 15 again. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, reading that last part there, uh, it seems like the Apostle Paul might be a little bit sarcastic. So sarcastic people in the room, you're like, way to go, Paul. (laughs) Because he might be getting at those people that like, they think they've arrived. They think that they're mature in the church of Philippi. They, they've, they're complete. They're good to go. And he's trying to say here, hey, guess what? God will reveal that to you also. Like if you think differently, you're going to get a wake-up call. 
God's going to wake you up. And that's a good thing. That's a mercy, but um, it might not feel like it at first. So it could be that way, or it could, there could be a pastoral edge to what Paul is saying here. He could be saying, hey, maybe you feel in your heart that you would really, you want to know Jesus more. You want that to be the thing that drives you in life, but you struggle to believe that's true. You struggle because the world around you says that's not actually a worthy goal to live for. That's not actually mature to spend your life, your time, your energy, your money seeking after. And so you wrestle with that. And and Paul can be encouraging us here too and saying, hey, God will reveal that to you also. You will grow in your knowledge of Jesus, your love for Jesus, because God is at work helping you. And if you struggle, God is there to help you. Very similar to what we were talking about with God being at work in our sanctification and us growing in our obedience. He grows us as well. And the key to this is holding on to the one who first grabbed hold of us, clinging to Jesus and praying that he would reveal himself through his word, and through our times of prayer, guided by his word. That's why Paul tells the Philippians in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us hold true to this truth about God that we know, that Jesus has ransomed us from the world, from our evil ways. He has saved us. Let us hold on to that and cling to that truth. Salt Company, hold on to what God has revealed to you about Jesus. This this good news that Jesus has saved you from a life of sin so that you can know him and and desire to understand that more. Hold on to Jesus because he's holding on to you and never move past that truth. Never feel like that's old news because that's the foundation of our belief. True maturity when it comes down to it, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus, the perfect God-man. So seeking the prize of knowing Jesus is the way to true maturity. That's our big idea for tonight. Seeking the prize of knowing Jesus is the way to true maturity. So you know you're on the way to true maturity if you know you won't be complete until heaven. And if the prize you're living for is knowing more, of Jesus. So what is the prize you're living for right now? What are the goals in your life right now? Like take a moment and just pause and think about the top three goals that you would look back in 20, 30, 40 years and say, I have a successful, fulfilling life. What are the top three goals? And don't try to like scrub it as you're thinking about it with, uh, with some Jesus in there. But be honest, be real. G- God already knows your heart and he loves you in that. But do those goals show you're on the way to true maturity? Does the prize you're seeking after point that you're on the way to true maturity? Paul doesn't own perfection or complete maturity, but he owns his dedication to the prize of knowing Jesus. So now our question is, okay, that's, that's great. That's the way, but how, 
How are we to do that? How are the Philippians to do that? How do they keep the way to true maturity by seeking the prize of knowing Jesus? Let's read verse 17. Paul says, brothers. So he's talking in in family terms here. He's speaking to brothers and sisters. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In short, imitate faithful followers of Jesus. Follow their example, the pattern of their walk. Like Paul, first here, he points to himself as he seeks to know and imitate Christ. But he's hundreds of miles away in prison right now. Okay? So the church in Philippi, they're not able to watch his life closely and learn from him like they were when he was visiting them and with them. And so he, he incorporates others. He says, so he points the Philippians to walk according to the example that they have in us. Join in with these other church leaders like Timothy and Epaphroditus that are living for Jesus, that are seeking this amazing goal and follow the pattern of their life. Like get to know them. He says, keep your eyes on them. And this is not a call to like be a stalker, okay? <laughs> like this isn't a call. The application here isn't to like just like shadow someone and like try to act like them. Like that's weird. You're probably like gonna get a restraining order called on you. So like don't don't do that. That's not that's not the call. This is a call to get to know faithful followers of Jesus well enough to like understand how they live and why they live. Like the be in relationship with them to see like what makes them tick. What what does being belonging to Jesus, how does that impact the patterns of their life? Like, how does that impact their goals and how they live for them? Like, we can get real practical here. How does it impact how they spend their time and their money? Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. So uh, similar to immature and mature. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Like you guys are living in an evil, broken world. Make the best use of your time. And to the Colossians, he says in chapter 3, set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is. So get to know people so you can hear that they'll follow Jesus, so you can hear and understand how do they define the best use of their time? How do they seek to set their minds on things that are above where Christ is instead of being caught up in the earthly things here? How much time do they spend in God's word, in prayer? How much do they work? How do they prioritize time with their family and with the people of God? Get to know people and how they spend their time and why they spend their time that way because it'll point to how they're seeking this prize of knowing Jesus. And ask them, you got to get to know people well to do this one, okay? So um, ask them about their financial goals. Don't ask them about their salary. Again, that's weird, especially in our culture. Uh, Fun fact, that's really normal in China. Super normal in China. I was really off-put when someone asked me in China, like, hey, how much money you make? Like, oh, (laughs) that's a little close. Um, But... Jesus says, where your treasure is, aka money, 
your heart will be also. So how do they think about their money? Does the way they spend money show that they have their eyes set on earthly things or on heavenly things? And as you watch these things and ask these questions, ask yourselves the same. Like check your own goals. Because we all should be living differently because if we are walking as Christians, as followers of Jesus, because we're not enemies of the cross. Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. So read with me the last couple of verses here tonight. Verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is amazing what Paul is getting at here. And the language he's using points to the Philippians being a colony of heaven in Philippi. They're citizens of heaven and exiles and refugees on earth because they have a different king, different goals, and a different way of life than the citizens of the world. They belong to Jesus so they belong with Jesus, living like Jesus. And we need to remind each other of this truth. Because it's really easy to be pulled into the ways of thinking this world does and has. We are naturally pulled to think about these earthly things and forget that this world is not our home. We are waiting for Jesus to come back, to redeem this world and to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious resurrected body. And when that happens, we will get to know Jesus totally uninhibited by tiredness, uninhibited by brokenness in the world, and most beautifully uninhibited by our sin. Sin will be no more. And we will be able to live with no other competing goals, no competing idols, no gods tempting us, no other things to boast in but eternity with Jesus. And we prize the prize of knowing Jesus now, knowing it will pay out beyond our imagination in heaven. And there's, there's, it's hard to quantify how amazing this truth is and how this truth sustains our joy in this life better than anything else. Knowing that one day, all the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that we experience in this world will just serve to give us glory and heaven with Jesus, that we will enjoy Jesus in heaven even more when he returns and makes all things new. And that's like a whole different sermon (laughs) that we could go on, but you guys don't want to be here for another hour. Uh, So we won't go there. But it is incredible and good, and we should long for the return of Jesus in this beautiful thing. Do you hunger for the return of Jesus? Does the way you live today drive you to long for his return? Are you seeking the prize of knowing Jesus because you know that's the only thing you can live for in this life that you can take into the next life? If you do, that's amazing. You should have peace and joy that that grows as you believe in that and hope in that. You should encounter the brokenness in the world with hopefulness and joy. But here's the truth. You still have some maturing to do. 
And that's good. We have more to know of Jesus. And if you, if not, if you're not excited and motivated by the return of Jesus, then you have some maturing to do, my friends. And that's at a minimum. That's at a base. Because that should be our heart's longing and our heart's call. But it could also reveal something greater. It could reveal that there's not really a desire for knowing Jesus. Then you don't just need maturity, you need new life. If you don't hunger and thirst for Jesus, my friends, you don't know Jesus. You don't belong to Jesus if you don't hunger for who he is. And this isn't just like when you struggle to hunger. This isn't just like, a, okay, maybe this is a down week and I'm, I'm struggling right now. This is if you just don't get it. Like, I just don't get why people need to know Jesus. I plead with you that he is the God of the universe that has come to experience suffering so that we could know him. That we could know him now and for eternity. That's why Jesus came. So we can know him and so that he could ransom us from the king of this world, the God of this world, from our slavery to sin, from our empty goals and the sorrowful end that all of our sin deserves. And so that we could live for the eternal prize of knowing Jesus now and forever. That's why he came. And we praise him for that. And seeking the prize of knowing Jesus is the way to true maturity. So here's, here's three things that you can get after this week to apply this truth. It says assess, approach, and then I wasn't very creative. I used apply again. So apply. Assess, approach, and apply. I really want to challenge you guys all with this first one especially. Guys, assess your goals and influences. What's your prize? What is your goal in life? Who are you imitating and where is that leading you? Are you being encouraged to know Jesus more and therefore grow in true maturity? Or are you being encouraged to set your mind on earthly things? Now, if you're struggling with that being like a kind of abstract um, idea or construct and you want to get practical, I, I encourage you to get a piece of paper out tonight and draw a line down the middle. And on the left side, I want you to write down the people that you spend the most time with, the people that you listen to on podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, articles, and the people you most respect. Okay, that might be a pretty long list. Write them on the left side and star the ones that are encouraging you to know Jesus and love Jesus. Star those ones. And then the ones that you're like, I don't know, put a question mark. And then on the right side, write down all the ways that you see them not encouraging you towards Jesus, but encouraging you to earthly things. And if you're not sure, just ask a friend. They'll probably be able to point something out and be like, hey, you're being influenced by this person. Like you talk just like them and it's not a good thing, okay? So watch that. Process through that. And because this is, this is what's true. Your influences are shaping your goals and your walk. And you should know if it's towards Jesus or toward the world. That's step one. Assess your goals and influences. And then two and three, they're, they're pretty similar. They, they connect together. Approach faithful followers and apply their Christ-likeness. Ask yourself, 
Who could you be imitating? And how can I get to know them? Y'all, we are blessed with so many faithful followers of Jesus here at Veritas, and a fraction of them are in this room right now. Sunday morning is full of hundreds of men and women in family, single, that love Jesus so much and are seeking the prize of knowing Jesus more, and they would be great people to approach, to know, to be in relationship with, so you can just watch how they live, so that you can be like, hey, can I, can I cook with you sometime? Like, can I help you, like, around the house like, if you have kids, can I watch your kids? Can I, can I clean your house? Because I just want to, to be around you because you follow Jesus well, and I just want to see how you live your life. I just want to be around so I can ask you, like, hey, how did you choose to do that with your family? How did you choose to do those things with your spouse? Can you help me with my Bible reading? Like, I, I'm just in a dry spot. And your, your prayer life seems like great, and mine, not so much. So how do you pray? And just get into relationship with people that are just a, fur, a bit further down the line from you and ask them these things. And if you're having trouble with that, feel free to ask one of your staff members. Be like, hey, who should I be reaching out to? Who should I ask to hang out with sometime? I encourage you, uh, maybe you avoid the word disciple, hey, can you disciple me? It might freak some people out, okay? Because here's the deal. Some people just like don't really know what you mean by that. <laughs> it's like, wait, do you want me to like be your Paul? I'm not a Paul, so I don't know if I can do that, okay? So maybe start with some basics, just getting to know some people. And if people say no, don't get discouraged. Keep asking people. There are people that God will provide to you to imitate if you approach them and ask to follow them and just be a part of their life. And then don't just hang out with them. Like, don't just ask them these questions, but apply their Christ-likeness. Seek to do the things they do to seek Jesus and live like Jesus. And ask them for help and insight and for guidance and prayer. And you'd be amazed by the encouragement that they will be to you and the encouragement that you will be to them. I encourage you, make it a goal to not make big decisions without seeking someone older's insight and thoughts. Things like uh, who you marry, where you should live, what job you should take. I mean, that's your decision. You're, you're adults. But seek insight. It's a gift from God to imitate faithful followers of Jesus. Like, why would you neglect the wisdom of God that's been given to them? It's a gift. And just imagine the impact that this would have on your lives. Okay, let's just fast forward five years down the road. Um, some of you might be near getting married. I don't know. You could be getting married. Michaela and I will be married for five years in August. Yeah. Guys, we have two kids. And uh, hopefully we've learned something from some faithful followers of Jesus about parenting, and we have a lot more to learn. <laughs> and maybe some of you come from broken homes. Maybe you have broken relationships with your parents, and you have um, mistakes have been made, things have been done, and there's hurt there. And there's growth for you if you go and seek to imitate and be known by faithful followers of Jesus. Imagine the impact that would have on you on your family, on your career path, 
learning from someone who's doing the same thing you want to do and is living for Jesus already, like you can gain from their wisdom. You can see how, man, this is how they seek Jesus in finance. This is how they seek the prize of knowing Jesus and nursing and teaching in all these different areas. And their life is full of joy. It's still hard and broken, but their life is full of joy. And they're mature and they make much of Jesus. Guys, let, let me just pray for us that that would be something that marks us and that we would, God would provide people for us to imitate. Father, you are so good and so kind, and you um, have given us the gift of your son. You have sent him to us to ransom us from sin and death and from selfish ways. We were your enemies, and you loved us and made us a part of your family, made us citizens of heaven. Would you remind us that we won't be satisfied in anything in this world and that we hunger for Jesus? And would we seek the prize of knowing Jesus, not just to be seen as mature, but so that we can be like Jesus and enjoy the joy of knowing Jesus because we know that we'll spend eternity knowing more about Jesus. You're a great God and we're thankful for you. I pray these things in your son's name, amen.